What up, Rail Split Nation? We are back after a week off to bring you the second half of the Battle of Chancellorville. Hit the music. I am joined, of course. This is Rail Splitter Nick, as everybody knows, and I am joined by Rail Splitter Mary. What up? Hey, Rail Splitters, and I'm going to apologize if I sound kind of sniffly. I either have really bad allergies, which is what I'm hoping it is, or I have a head cold, which I'm hoping it's not. It just hasn't decided what it wants to be yet. I think you're hungover, so that's what my money's on. I wish I could say that, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, uh, Rail Splitter Jeremy with us in spirit. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he's back soon with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the show keeps on rolling. Um, you know, we're keeping it rolling for him. Uh, he is the grandfather, the father of the Rail Split Nation, uh, or the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast. Before we dive into Chancellorville and review where we were, I know Mary. You got a news article um, as well as me, but I will let you go first. All right. So I stumbled upon this news article. I'd like to say I did a lot of research, but this is about half an hour ago that I was like, oh, shit, we need a news article for tonight. Um, So anyway, it's this one from it's called Lincoln looking to break Abraham Lincoln world record and Lincoln, Illinois is hoping to break the world record for the largest gathering of people dressed up as Abraham Lincoln. Um, So the Logan County Tours and Bureau is asking people to dress as the 16th president of the United States and show up to the Logan County Courthouse on September the 21st. And people can register apparently from 8 to 2 and the event will start at 3. Um, those par- participating have to bring their own attire. So if you would like to participate in this, here's what you need to wear. Um, a stovepipe hat, an ear-to-ear beard without a mustache, a long black coat, a white collared shirt, black waistcoat, and a black bow tie. And a press release says each person must be instantly recognizable as Abraham Lincoln. And animals and children three years old and younger cannot be counted in the attempt. So I am out because I got a beard with a mustache, and I will not be sh- say, uh, shaving that. Not even it's for the cause. Of, it was a good cause. It's part of my Harlem Veteran Project branding, which is also a good cause. It is. And helping veterans. So, no. But maybe, maybe, maybe I will. Maybe. What, this, what if we raised money? What if we paid, like? I don't know. I'll have to think about this. <laughs> Would anybody really donate money? Like, see, this would work in the school, I feel, but like a podcast, nobody really sees me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even people even know what I look like. I'm pretty, like, like you, you're pretty vocal and you're on uh, social media a lot. I'm yeah. just kind of not really out there. Yeah. I'm just the beautiful voice that everybody hears. <laughs> you're everybody's favorite rail splitter. Well, that's true. So they do probably know what I look like. I don't know. I don't know. Give us some feedback. I'm willing to 
entertain the idea. <laughs> but yeah, this is pretty cool though. If you want to make history with Lincoln, I mean, you don't get many opportunities this day and age to do that. September twenty first. It might be worth me just going down because Lincoln's about an hour and a half, two hours, maybe about two, two and a half hours from me. That might be cool. Uh, just to go and see, uh, bring a camera, take some pictures. So um, hopefully it works out of my schedule. So hopefully I don't forget about this either. I'm wondering if uh, George Buss will be there. He's um, like a he's a Lincoln impersonator is not the right word portrayer um he was the one that was at gettysburg for the 155th and delivered the gettysburg address he's a very nice man oh and you've met him haven't you nick yeah Yeah. yes yes and he's from freeport yes so he is not too far away to me if you don't have george bus at this it's a bus (laughs) cue some kind of that drum music when somebody makes like a semi bad joke although that was kind of funny (laughs) Ooh, I like that you planted that audio cue for Jared. I know, I'll have to tell him and see if he actually will do it. Sometimes sometimes I'll tell him and then sometimes he's like, eh, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, last episode, didn't we have like a bunch of things for him to add in? We did, and I don't think he did. I think he was like, eh. Dude, bogus. (laughs) Uh, I... Anything else that we want to say? So September 21st, you're in there. You want to be part of some Lincoln history? Get out your Lincoln gear um, and show up there. Hopefully, this becomes a big deal. I imagine we'll see a lot of our famous uh, Lincoln presenters there mm-hmm. that um, we've talked about in the show. So hopefully, it's successful. It'll be cool. Nice little thing to do. I wonder why they chose that date. I wonder if it has any significance. Yeah. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, good for Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln, so. Illinois, and Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. So what's your news story? So... I did even – I did my research about five minutes ago. Ooh. And there's an article, and China is – invokes Abraham Lincoln in justifying push to take Taiwan. Oh, I see. Uh, so Taiwan's been disputed since the 1949 civil war that took place in China. Uh, those of you who don't know, you had the Communist Party fought the Nationalists. Led by Chiang Kai-shek, the Nationalists were defeated, fled to Taiwan. And I believe for years, that's the part that we recognize as China. We didn't really recognize communist China. I believe that is accurate. Um, So there's been this division for that time. So China now has been putting some pressure on Taiwan. And this comes up every once in a while in the past decade. But basically, they want to unite Taiwan with China again. Um, And... One of the Chinese generals is quoted as saying, my American friends told me that Abraham Lincoln was the greatest American president because he led the country to victory in the Civil War and prevented the secession of the U.S. The U.S. is indivisible. So is China. China must be and will be reunified. So I just thought that was kind of funny coming across that. Um, So, yeah, the Chinese trying to use Abraham Lincoln for justification to take Taiwan. I don't think they're going to convince America. Yeah, It's interesting because it's such a general thing, right? It's like saying, like, oh, well, we're having a civil war and so the U.S. So somehow it applies, but they're not. The civil war is not for the same reasons. Yeah, and the civil war that was really fought in 1949 and pretty much ended. Yeah. (laughs) It, I don't know. It's 
it's interesting how Lincoln comes up like internationally and how he's kind of examples of him are used. And sometimes it's interesting to see how people interpret it. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. So, um, yeah, just came across, thought it was kind of funny. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's all I got for that. We each had news stories. Yay. That's because we're well prepared today. We are. Uh, We are, actually, because I finished my Chancellorsville book, and I did some research on May 3rd of Chancellorsville today. Nice. Um, Do you want to provide a nice little wrap-up of what we got through last episode, Mary? Sure. So what we went through last um, episode was the lead-up to Chancellorsville, um, like what Hooker's plan was. Um, about the flanking force or flying column going down to Chancellorsville. This was the Union side. And then um, on May 1st, that was when Hooker advanced to Lee, but then Lee did a very risky thing in splitting his army. And it was very confusing on that day. And then we got to May 2nd, um, which was, again, where Lee has to divide his army so Jackson can make his march. And where we left off was that... General Thomas Stonewall Jackson has been wounded by friendly fire when he is out scouting around after the battle has ended for the day. And he ends up being shot three times, but none of those wounds are fatal at this point. So we left off um, at the end of May the 2nd, 1863, with Jackson being wounded. Yeah, so kind of the positions is... The Union finds itself definitely on the defensive now. No. No, they're not. Because that's what Hooker wants. Hooker wants to be on the defensive, and he wants Lee to attack him, I think is how it goes. Yeah. that's. Then I say what I say. Yeah. You said the South is not on the, the defensive, so I was just saying. I said the South? Oh, yeah. I misspoke that. So you got the Union, and then you got the Confederates are actually split. Mm-hmm. At this point, because of Jackson's flank movement, who will now be replaced by Stewart. And they're on that left flank. And during the evening, at the very start of the morning, you have the U- Sickles crew is out um, with Hazel Grove at this point. Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of they kind of have like a, a split between the Confederates. So you have Stewart with the left flank. And then you got Anderson and McLaws division are kind of split from them. So a way to kind of visualize this in your head, if Sickles guys were just to pick up and just run, they could run right through the middle of them is the idea. However, on the flip side, you have basically the Union is flanked on both sides going in. So you could probably make a case that both sides are in good spots and bad spots. Mm -hmm. So Lee's main concern is he's got to join that line together to get rid of that gap that exists. And there's some nice maps online you can see of this stuff too. Um. I think that's where we're about going into the start of the first day. Yeah. Um, and then I believe the day starts, Stewart sends some battle, sends some guys in the attack. So Lee's taking the initiative again, um, and he's going to attack. And then what Hooker decides to do, and this is probably a mistake, he retreats from Hazel Grove. Um, and he goes back to, do you know where he went back to? I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Hooker is back. He's in, he's back in Chancellorsville. Like that's where he goes back. He's at the headquarters in Chancellorsville. 
and he has his troops fall back to yeah. Fairview. Yeah. And then so they leave Hazel Grove wide open, which is high ground. Um, and this actually allows Lee to join his forces together now. So they're not split. And they move up their artillery to a very favorable position. Yep. And they start shelling the hell out of Chancellorsville. Um, and yep. specifically the house where Hooker has his headquarters. And it's a, at around... 9 a.m. that Hooker's reading a dispatch from none other than General Sickles and a shell comes through the headquarters and a piece <coughs> falls down and hits Hooker in the head and he is um, severely concussed. So his symptoms that he had today, he would be diagnosed with a very severe concussion. And this basically sets the tone for or the what I would say. He is not the fucked up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. That's the perfect way to put it. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that was perfect. So for the remainder of the day, he was wandering around and unable to get any ideas into his head. This is what William Candler of Hooker staff said. And Abner Doubleday said Hooker's mind was not clear. So... This is not good when you've got Lee shelling the hell out of you. And this is why Chancellorsville, will, the day, May 3rd, will be one of the bloodiest days. Um, it will be the bloodiest day at Chancellorsville and one of the bloodier days of the Civil War because of that. Uh, and then there's been some conflicting reports because I know Meade thought he was not knocked, knocked as silly as he was. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, there's, I believe, pretty good documentation that shows that he vomited i mean when yeah. you get knocked and you that leads to you vomiting that's pretty good uh knock in the head so i tend to side with the the others outside of mead and there was some other general that also maybe it was couch yeah that didn't think he was knocked out that bad um but yeah like he had to be laid down basically yeah and he was out for quite a few minutes right after it happened and he didn't come to for a few minutes and apparently he was like, he would get up on his horse and then he would get off his horse and then he would kind of wander around and not really know what was going on. And when this happened, the army of the Potomac headquarters, they're rendered mute for a while because they really don't know like which way is up because their commanders, he's been knocked senseless and have you ever had a concussion no but i've been um the closest i came was getting hit in the head with a metal baseball bat oh shit yeah i have never had a concussion i think the closest where i was like mentally out of it i I would think of some hangovers yes and back when i used to drink and then i could only imagine having to be in charge so you know when you're hungover obviously you, you could think somewhat but even then i couldn't imagine trying to lead an army in that condition and i would imagine a severe concussion would be drastically worse yes. than that so i i can't i can only imagine how rough it had to be and how like he was in no position to lead no at that point exactly and yeah the just the the hangover thing would be that's that's a great way to put it like i mean yeah when you're hungover you're you're kind of functioning but like I would not want to be ordering men around a battlefield. Yes, I agree. In that state. So I think that's the clo- that's how I'm putting it in my mind. 
to kind of relate to how he felt is like mm-hmm. the world's worst hangover times two. <laughs> well, well, just the just the symptoms too. It seemed like almost like being out of it. So it's probably like when you're really drunk and like you were last night. I so yeah, totally. <laughs> After my six hour drive home from Ohio. <laughs> The only way to get over that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. Just for the record, we are not condoning drinking and driving. I'm st- no. strictly stating she did that when she got home. So, <laughs> to our all our listeners. And then I got up at 6 a.m. and went to work today. 6 a.m.? Dang. Yep. I get up at 6 a.m. every day. I'm a 6.30. Hits a snooze three times, though. Yeah, I can't do that. Actually, for one more morning, then it's whenever the hell I want to get up. When I left for Ohio last Sunday, I got up at 4.45 a.m. and I was on the road by 5.30. That's good. Got to get out early. That was brutal. Worth it, though, wasn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got there early. I didn't have any traffic. It was great time to leave um so anyway back to chancellor's phil sorry for the little derailment there that often happens with us um so normal protocol would dictate that the chief of staff if the leading general is rendered like i think either dead or like unable to command as hooker was that the chief of staff would call upon the most senior general in this case that was dry as couch to assume command but Daniel Butterfield, who was the chief of staff, was not there to make this happen. And apparently nobody else stepped up to do anything about this for a while. Um, so Hooker does eventually recognize that he needs to turn over command, but only conditionally. And that's if the Army of the Potomac will fall back to the line at the U.S. Ford. In other words, retreat from their current position. And yeah, and this. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, Darius Couch's reputation, the guy that they want to take over, is not all that great within the AOP. And one person on General Meade's staff described him as an old granny. <laughs> and then this kind of... The night before, there, there's records showing that Hooker was talking about possibly trying a flank movement on Stewart's. Because if you go to a battle map, you could see the Union's right flank is Reynolds and Meade. Um, and basically there could have maybe perhaps been an opportunity to flank Stewart's men. Mm-hmm. In fact, Meade is known to have tried to get Hooker to let him do that. So he was basically pleading with him to let his guys go in to try a flank movement on Stewart's troop, get behind them to relieve a lot of the pressure. Um, and if successful, could have really you know changed the uh, layout for that day. However, with Hooker being knocked senseless, he never ends up getting the green light. So Meade uh, never has basically the permission or the order to do it, um, which kind of upsets Meade. So kind of another example here where Meade had an opportunity um, and, you know, uh, wasn't able to go full bore with it because of, you know, the leadership. In this case, I don't think it was incompetence. I think it was he was mentally, you know, rattled. Yeah. And then when he relieves, you know, or, or uh, he gives the control of the couch, I mean, couch is a tough spot. You basically got your commanding officer telling you, hey, I'm giving you control, but I want you to retreat. Yeah. So, I mean, what are you going to do there? And it's already chaotic, I'm sure, there. Exactly. And I, and I don't think couch had the, you know, the testicular fortitude 
uh, to do anything but retreat. No, and I mean, if you had to, if you look um, into like you know what's going to happen in July, um, when Meade is back at you know he's back at Pipe Creek and he sends Reynolds forward. Reynolds is his kind of his second in command which he, he Meade gave him permission to decide if Gettysburg was the right place to fight. And then Meade, you know, when Reynolds got killed, I think control went to General Howard automatically. But, <laughs> but then Meade sent Hancock because Meade trusted him more. And that's just, it's a very right stark, it's a very, yeah, exactly. It's a very stark contrast to what is happening here. But mind you, Hooker, is incapacitated and had hooker not been incapacitated you know who knows what could have happened with this battle like if Meade had still went to him and said hey i think we need to do this hooker may have very well said yes let's do it especially since Meade and reynolds reynolds especially had fresh had fresh troops because he had been at fredericksburg and actually marched down um to chancellorsville and well then i would uh kind of play devil's advocate to this. I, I think to the people who want to bash Hooker, I, I do think there's an opportunity there because yeah. his biggest mistake was that he didn't um, – he took the people off Hazel Grove, which gave mm-hmm. the Confederates a huge advantage. So I, I think he definitely needs to take blame for that. Yeah. Yeah, and who knows what he was thinking. Like, I know we discussed in the last episode that he wants Lee on to – be on the offensive hooker wants to be on the defensive and you and i discussed last episode that that could have been a leftover from fredericksburg with what he saw when the union line went on the offensive by midday the army of the potomac is compactly arrayed behind a new perimeter with flanks anchored on the rappahannock and securing the u.s forward so they have indeed retreated back to a different position from where they were um, but Lee was also launching multiple attacks at them. And with the chaos going on, there's no way they could have, like, I think, fought back with that. No, yeah, I agree with that. I think they got caught on their heels as soon as yeah. basically hookers knocked senseless, if not a little bit before that. Yeah. So we will move. So what's happening over at Fredericksburg, Nick? Okay, so Fredericksburg will be over to the Confederates' right. Uh, the Union left, and basically there was like a truce call briefly. Um, and during that truce, the Union realized that they had a huge advantage and that they could push off the Confederates off of Murray's Heights. Um, so they do that. Basically, uh, what is it, Sedgwick? Yes. He's there, and he basically, they just have a numerical advantage. They go in there, they catch the Confederates a little bit off guard. Um, and they are able to push them off the heights and basically get them on the retreat, get them on their heels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically they have a huge advantage here. And that's uh, Early's crew on the Confederate side who's forced to retreat, um, which I think kind of upset Lee. He was not expecting this. No. So now you see an opportunity here perhaps to get Lee's guys caught between the two sides. So if you're thinking of the battle map right now, Early's kind of pushed out of the picture. And then now going through Fredericksburg and coming out of Murray's Heights, you now have um, a possibility for Sedgwick to put some pressure on basically the backside of Lee's troops. Yeah. And maybe catch them in like a pincher right in between. 
But he will, Sedgwick ends up having to leave Fredericksburg and advance for orders that he had received from Hooker earlier, which was very risky. So he's, he's leaving John Gibbon at Fredericksburg. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, as I said, it's a very risky move. Uh, Gibbon is there with two brigades. And so that means by the end of May 3rd, the Union is now <laughs> holding three separate brid- bridgeheads, which you would think is a good f- position for them to be in. So they got U.S. Ford, and then Sedgwick has gone to Banks Ford, which is where Hooker, I think, wanted him to go. And then at Fredericksburg, you have Gibbon's two brigades. And... By this point in the day, I think later in the day, Hooker is a little bit more sensible, and he is hoping that Lee will attack him the next day again, and he feels he's got a strong position to do so. Yes, agreed. And then I think this day gets overlooked, especially like when I was just doing research before and then reading stuff like May 2nd gets so much coverage because I, I understand why you got the big flanking movement by Jackson. Jackson's shot. He's injured. You know, he's such a romanticized figure. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I think that he deserves it, but anyways. It's I agree. <laughs> but um, but May 3rd, I mean, like you said earlier, this is the bloodiest day. This is the hardest fighting. Um, there is, you know, some, it's a great story, too. You know, Hooker getting knocked senseless. You have all these individual battles. I'm sure there's all sorts of, you know, individual history out there to back this up. I think it really gets overshadowed by the flank movement. But even going on this day, the Union had a chance mm-hmm. to possibly take this, you know, if they don't give up Hazel Grove and they do that flank movement. Yeah. Maybe it, you know, so maybe the what if isn't when Stacks, uh, when Jackson gets injured, maybe the what if is if Hooker didn't get knocked senseless, what would have happened? Yes. So, um, to me, I think it's a more fascinating what if um, to all this. So, because I mean, what else is Jackson going to do that night? I mean, that fighting was almost done for the evening. Exactly. For the most part. And then, um, does he do anything differently? He's probably doing the same thing Stewart's doing. Yep. Um, the next day. So, you know, Stewart seems to have handled himself extremely well, mm-hmm. being put in this um, unusual circumstance for him. Um, so to me, I, I think the big what if is on day three in my eyes. Yeah, I I agree because the union it seemed like had a good plan, and you know then Hooker gets knocked senseless, and we'll never know what could have been with that. And I mean orders were confusing to begin with, and um, with the AOP kind of being without a commander for a while, um, it really made it probably slowed things down. Nobody knows what they're doing and all that, and. You know, the, the other thing, too, about this day, and I didn't realize this until I did the research, um, it's the fiercest fighting because of how Lee brings up, you know, his artillery. And it is the second bloodiest day of the Civil War. Yeah, and Sears in his book, Chancellorville, he does a he makes a big point to emphasize how the Confederates have restructured their artillery to the point where it's a lot easier and they're more flexible as far as calling different artillery units and getting them to where they need as opposed to the unions. And that became a big, uh, that's a big factor to why the Confederates do have success. Yeah. And he goes into great detail, much more than I just did there, talking about that. And he also really emphasizes the lack of communication or the communication breakdown for several different reasons 
on the union side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where orders are too vague or they don't get there quick enough, which you see happen with Sedgwick out there um, in the Fredericksburg area. Um, and that really hampered the union and all this. Yeah, because what Sedgwick's did with leaving them, like Gibbon's not, you know, I mean, Gibbon is talented. And he'll do what he can with his men, but there's no way he could actually hold Mary's Heights. And the thing that I find most interesting about Day 3-2 is just that it is what happens at Fredericksburg is considered the second battle of Fredericksburg. Yeah. And that gets overlooked as well. Um, and I think Day 3 is really complicated, and that's why it it also gets overlooked, because people are like, oh, I don't want to look at that. And they go back to like, okay, let's look at what Jackson was doing and and talk I- about that. I agree with you 100% because it was the one part where, like, I had to go back and think about it a little bit more in my head as opposed to Jackson's. Yes, day three was the hardest for me just to, yeah. to get that vis- mental map down to how it all happened and broke out. So yeah. I agree with that Chan- too. Chancellorsville is one of the most complicated battles that I have, you know, looked at thus far on the podcast that, like, Shiloh clicked with me. Um, Fredericksburg clicked with me, but this one is one that I'm still trying to like wrap my mind around it. Wait till we get to some of those later battles that take like months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah. So. And then, so we go into May 4th, which is quiet. Um, like for the most part, I think, but over at Fredericksburg, um, the rebels have reoccupied Mary's Heights because, like I said, Gibbon's not going to be able to hold that. And he's isolated there. And Sedgwick is going to have to defend himself at Banksford. And he met, he does manage to do this on his own. He's received no direction from Hooker. He believes himself to be outnumbered. So he telegraphs Hooker and just basically says, uh, dude, I'm crossing the river. Like, I'm going to be outnumbered here. And he does this without knowing that Hooker has a new plan that requires Sedgwick to stay as he is. So this is another example of the communication breakdown that has been happening um, throughout most of the Battle of Chancellorsville. And um, so Gibbon ends up withdrawing from Fredericksburg and pulling up the bridges that they had constructed a few days before. Um, So Hooker's new plan can't happen now because Sedgwick has crossed the river from his current position at Banks Ford and Hooker's plan was basically to recross the river, march down to Banks Ford, and turn on the enemy's position. Yep. And I think Lee was frustrated they got away, too, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Because he was looking to take the initiative as well. Yep. So it was a very quiet day um, compared to May the 3rd. And at midnight, um, actually, Nick, do you have anything else to add before we get to the meeting that they had? No, you're good. Okay. Um, so Hooker calls together his available corps commanders, uh, Reynolds, Couch, Meade, Sickles, Howard, and eventually Slocum. They also arrive. And he lays out what the situation is, and he leaves them to talk. And Meade advocates to attack, and Reynolds seconds this. And then Reynolds is absolutely exhausted, and Sears, in his book about Chancellorsville, or not Chancellorsville, Lincoln's lieutenant, says he goes to sleep in a corner. So Reynolds is like, this is, I want to attack. I'm going to go to sleep, have a nap now, have fun discussing this. And Howard also agrees to advance as does Slocum. But Couch and Sickles are for retreating. 
Um, what they don't know is that Hooker's already made up his mind about what he wants to do and decided that the army's going to withdraw anyway. And so he sticks by this even when he comes back in and he finds that out of, um, he finds that the bulk of the, his core commanders have said, yes, we want to attack. And when Reynolds finds this out, when he wakes up from his nap, he gets really angry and he says, what was the use of calling us together at this time of night when he intended to retreat anyhow? <laughs> Understandable from Reynolds' point of view. Yeah. Like, what was the point in that? Like, Hooker's like, okay, this is, here's the situation. Now talk about it and take a vote and they'll come back and talk to you about it. Maybe he was hoping they would side with him. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 he'd probably still loopy. I don't know. Yeah, he, he could have still been loopy. I think he just, like, you know, as he said later, like, I just lost confidence in Joe Hooker. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe, I mean, this happens all the time, I feel like, at the school sometimes. <laughs> a decision is made and there's a vote and it's like, actually, this is what I want it to do. It's a lot easier to retreat than mm-hmm. to take action and suffer another loss again. Yes. I think he just lost his nerve. I mean, he was going in on such confidence. Things were going so right, and then it turned so drastically for him. I think yeah. he just lost confidence um, in this particular campaign yeah. for multiple reasons. So, And then he just didn't have the nerve to push forward. No, and I know, like, you know, the days following a concussion, like, I've known people who have had them. You feel so out of it, and you're not thinking straight. You're tired. You get dizzy. <coughs> You know, so odds are he was not like Hooker's not at his best here. And I think sometimes he gets really raked over the coals a little bit too much. But, you know, you have to remember that he'd been hit pretty hard by I think it was like a piece of like piece of a pillow or pillow or something like that that hit him pretty hard on the head. And he's going to be, you know, out of it for a few days after this, I think. Yeah, it's just kind of like the perfect storm for him. I think, like, he had a good game plan. It was a complex game plan. He struggled with communications, which wasn't necessarily all his fault. Um, he has this freak accent where he gets hit in the head. You know, he does make a blunder, you know, th- you know, blunder or two. But then you just kind of compound all these things. Lee makes this crazy move that miraculously works. It's just kind of like the perfect storm, you know that none of this would have happened altogether if you ever tried to do this again. But unfortunately for Hooker, it does all happen in this sequence, and and that's just how it is sometimes. Yep. Yeah, and so May 5th and 6th, the Union Army retreats, and by May 6th, the Chancellorsville campaign has come to an end um, with a Confederate victory. It has been described as Lee's perfect battle because he divided his army, which was a huge risk, especially since the numbers he was up against. Like, if you remember, like, Union Army had nearly double the troops. Um, and Hooker was also said to have had timid decision-making and getting concussed on May the 3rd doesn't help matters. Now, the one thing that this has done to Lee is when it comes time, when we talk about Gettysburg, we'll see that we have a General Lee who is overconfident and really arrogant. And that will affect a decision that he makes on July the 3rd. 
Yeah, I think this being Lee's greatest victory is overblown, kind yeah. of. Because he got he did get outmaneuvered. Oh he but, did. And he made a bold decision. You gotta give him respect for mm-hmm. that. But like at the end of the day, what do you get out of this? I mean, okay, he's got this battlefield. I, I guess it allows him to take initiative to make another northern campaign. Yeah. But outside of that, his losses are gonna be extremely high. Mm-hmm. Um the you know he loses, I think, more casualties because a lot of the Union losses are prisoners. Yeah. During that, when that uh, the flank movement, a lot of Howard's guys are taken as prisoners, and he can't also replace it like the Union can. So, no. and even Lee knows this isn't. He's not like super ecstatic, just like after Fredericksburg. Uh, he's not super ecstatic after that because he knows, you know, that he only gains so much. It's fun. It's kind of sexy. He makes this crazy move. It works out. Yeah. Yes, I get like why people are drawn to it, but I think it being his greatest moment in the war, I, I don't, I don't know because of what it all leads to. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, he is. Yes, he's going to go into Pennsylvania, but he's going into Pennsylvania with the troops that are not well fed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so then they start kind of foraging off the land as well as they're in Pennsylvania. Um, And the other aftermath to this uh, is Lincoln's reaction, which was, my God, my God, what will the country say? Like, he's got another defeat on his hands, which is the last thing that he needed. And he really had thought, as we discussed in the episode about General Hooker, he really thought he had, I think he believed he had made a good decision with getting Hooker, who was very bold, very confident, um, and he thought Lincoln thought he would make the right decisions, and the you know Lincoln's devastated, but the Union army is not overly demoralized no, like after not. Fredericksburg in the mud march. Because if you think about it, you know, first of all, Reynolds and Meade's guys didn't see as much action as they could have. Yeah, um, you have some success over in the Fredericksburg side, so on the left flank of the Union, and a lot of this is retreats a lot of like a you know. Uh, you know, a retreat of maneuver or whatever you would say. Um, so a little bit of a tactical retreat, I guess you could look at it as. So yeah. they were not demoralized like after Fredericksburg at all. So No, exactly. And they're not demoralized because of what Hooker had done for them, I think, in the change, true. In changes he made. Mm-hmm. And this is the Army of the Potomac that General Meade is going to inherit, like, in the days before Gettysburg. And it's the Army of the Potomac that was made by General Joseph Hooker. Well, plus the Union has a scapegoat. Exactly. Uh, the Flying Dutch. Uh, yes. Uh, Howard's uh, 11th. So, and they do get a ton of blame for this. And uh, so that probably also kind of helped with some of the Union's morale, I'm sure. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. It's, it, there's. I've got a really good quote from General Meade that um, what he said about Lincoln says, the president remarked that the result was in his judgment most unfortunate, that he did not blame anyone. He believed everyone had done all in his power and that the disaster was one that could not be helped. Nevertheless, he thought its effect both at home and abroad would be more serious and injurious than any other previous act of war. That was good. Yeah, it was, that's a good assessment by Meade right there, you know, and also showing Lincoln's character that Lincoln's not outlaying blame and he's basically saying, you know, kind of shit happens. This is really unfortunate, though, that it's happened because, like, 
the defeat's critical for numerous reasons, which Sears outlines in his books, book Lincoln's Lieutenants. Campaigning in Tennessee was at a standstill since the Battle of Stones River earlier in the year. Grant was still trying to get Vicksburg at this time, and the Navy had been trying to get through the defenses at Charleston without any luck. So the North does need something, and yeah. they need something soon. And so on May 7th, Lincoln asks Hooker for a plan, which Hooker doesn't really have one, and Lincoln says, please inform me so that I, incompetent as I may be, can try and assist in formation of some plan for the Army. And he also tries to boost Hooker's confidence because Hooker has completely lost confidence in himself. He says, Lincoln says to him, I tried McClellan 20 times. I see no reason why I can't try you at least twice. <laughs> Which I thought was like, that's such a great quote. Yes, it is. <laughs> and But Sears states the other thing with Chancellorville, and maybe this is why morale remained high among the troops too, is because the impact it didn't burst forth like Fredericksburg. It sort of just trickled over a matter of days. There was censorship going on and just general puzzlement over what happened. And unlike Fredericksburg, there was not an investigation launched by the joint committee on the con of the conduct of war. And Lincoln does not seem to specifically assign blame to hooker <coughs> for what happened, but the army, the Potomac Corps commanders certainly do. And Lincoln is troubled by this lack of confidence that the Corps commanders are showing him. And in the end, Hooker will end, he will end up resigning over this. Yeah, you know, I I think that's a good point. Like, Chancellorville doesn't have, like, you go to Fredericksburg, you know, the charging of the heights. That's stupid. That's dumb. That's easy to print. That's easy to write about. Yeah. Um, plus, Hooker is really cut off to press as much as he can. You know, Gettysburg, you have Pickett's Charge. That's easy to write about. That's a headline. Yeah. Chancellorville, you don't really have that outside of Jackson's flank movement, but then you still have another day of fighting. Yeah. So it's – I think that's a good point. There's just not that one easy thing to attach to that tells the whole story. No, and I think it's just that just shows how complicated of a, complicated of a battle it is. Um, and meanwhile, over on the Confederate side of things – well, Lee has had a major victory. The army's going to suffer a major loss, and that is the the death of General Thomas Stonewall Jackson. And while he was wounded in the evening hours of May 2nd and his arm was amputated, he ended up catching pneumonia, and it's believed that this is what he passes away from on May 10th, 1863. Unfortunate. Yeah, so he's gone. And despite this, Lee will push forward and go into Pennsylvania and Chancellorsville has given him a boost of confidence in his troops. That will be short-lived. Yep. July the 3rd. It's coming up soon. So that pretty much wraps up Chancellorsville. Yes. Any last final thoughts? It was a very complicated battle to research, but I enjoyed it. And I do want to read, I would love to read Sears' book about it. Um, just because Sears is such an amazing writer and he's so good at explaining things. And I'm not good with battles to begin with. And um, we did get a lot of positive feedback from our part one episode of Chancellorsville, which was awesome. So hopefully part two um, will be, people will find it just as interesting. It was an interesting battle to research. And um, 
it's uh inter- it's what i find um most interesting though is just where things are on the union the confederate side going into gettysburg like just under two months after this battle has ended yes i would highly recommend the sears book as well for the people it's a good book does a nice job there's some other books you could start with first too i know there's some civil war series books out there that would give you kind of a brief overview um but yeah I also enjoyed researching it. So it's been a while since I thought about Chancellorville or dive deep into it. So I really enjoyed it. So hopefully our listeners got something out of it. Um, all right. I think it's of the people, by the people, for the people. It is, yes. Tweets of the people. I got one yep. ready to go. Awesome. Civil War Humor tweeted this out. Oh, he's the best. Uh, two days ago. Uh, on this date in 1862, Union General Oliver Howard was wounded in the right arm. Surgeons told him amputation was necessary. Howard didn't flinch and famously said, all right, go ahead. Happy to lose only my arm. And a doctor said, actually, you're going to lose Chancellorsville, too. <laughs> the punchline right there. So, um, So nicely done. I enjoyed that. I thought it was funny. Works perfectly with our episode on Chancellorsville. So he is a good follow. Um, is it a he? I don't know. I guess. I'm not sure, but it, but so. he they like yeah. he's he's hilarious. He's very good follow. So that made me chuckle out loud. So that's what I got. What you got? Okay, so mine comes from the Real Splitter Facebook page uh, from Jim Miller, who he posts quite a few pictures on there he visits civil war battlefields anyway he just had this photo of nine coffee cups that he bought while on vacation i thought i was the only one that did stuff like this but apparently not so this makes me feel better about my obsession um anyway i think jim only did it to make you feel better (laughs) he says 12 days on vacation and nine coffee cups how did you do mary well first of all to answer that I came home with, I did not purchase one coffee cup. Thank God. I did get a Cleveland Indians Tervis, though. Ew, man. Had to. It was on sale. What, what was the logo on it? The big C. Okay. And That's... Indians. There's no Wahoo on it. It's one of the new ones, so. Yeah, I, at the film festival, I watched several, two docs about Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, the logos as, uh, yeah, it's made me rethink stuff, but not that I already thought it. It brought it back to memory again as yeah. I wear the Blackhawks hat right now. Yeah, as I was just going to say, are which, you wearing a Blackhawks hat? Which I am <laughs> going to get rid of, I've decided, actually. So, um, and I think there's a future episode there, too. Ameri- uh, Lincoln and Native Americans. I agree. So, um, but anyways, getting off task. No, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. This week, dude, coffee mugs, I don't even. Hey, he, no, he's got. Jim Miller, you don't need nine coffee mugs. He's got a Grant coffee mug. He's got, looks like, three Lincoln coffee mugs, one with Chamberlain, one with the American Gothic painting on it, U.S. Air Force, one that says home. You know, I take that back. He does need one coffee mug, the rail splitter mug. Is he our does. store still up? It is. Our store is still open. You can purchase merchandise. He has a rail splitter mug out there? No, he doesn't. But 
I'm saying like you could add the rail splitter mug to your collection. We're on teespring.com. Just search for rail splitter and our merch will come up for you. All you need is a rail splitter mug. This one or maybe five, seven, 10, 12. Although we don't get any money from that. No. Or less voices. Yep. I don't know. He's pocketing it all and going I, on vacation. He did have a new car. I'm just joking. Oh. He didn't. <laughs> and we're on to our This Week in Lincoln, which Nick can see it. It is the Gettysburg. From G off. It's from G off, yes. My friend Jeff gave this to me. Um, he got it from the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. They sent it to him. What it is, it, it is a... Basically, it looks like something you could hold it in front of your face and pretend you're Lincoln, which is what Jerry did with it earlier. Um, but it says, are you an Abe fan too? Experience history like never before. And then it's got like the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum logo on it. And then looking for Lincoln, which is um, the Abraham Lincoln National Heritage Area, which I believe is in Illinois. And it's just like, it's supposed to be a fan so you can fan yourself on a hot day, I guess. But anyway, I thought it was kind of a quirky thing. They say fanning yourself on a hot day actually makes you hotter it because does. of the movement. It does. So just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Abraham Lincoln Library Museum, I when does this episode drop? Uh, it it will drop this Friday. Which I am literally in Springfield right now, everybody. I'm not as I'm talking right now, but I am as you're listening to this. So if you're at the Lincoln Museum Library, you might see me. If it's 10, what, does it drop in the morning or in the evening? Uh, Friday evening. Oh, shit. I might not be in Springfield anymore. Uh, I could be, though. I don't know. Well, we could have it drop Thursday night. You don't have to. I mean, there's no need to. Unless somebody desperately wanted to find me there, but... I don't know if I want to see that person. That sounds stalker. All of a sudden, all uh, these rail splitter groupies gather at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential that's Library. That's true. Museum. I'm everybody's favorite rail splitter. Yeah. So, so rail splitter net groupies. Enjoy my time there. And I will be talking to somebody from the library for a future episode. So we're excited about that. We are indeed. All right. Was that everything? I think that's it for this episode. I'm going to probably butcher this again, but uh, for everybody with malice towards none and charity for all, we're out of here. Rail split. Bye. See you guys soon.